Machon Hartzion, an Orthodox Jewish organization, offers educational programs in Israel about the Jewish faith for everyone who loves the God of Israel. Machon Hartzion opens its doors of spiritual knowledge to Jew and Gentile alike. Machon Hartzion stands to share true spirituality with people of all faiths. Visit www.hartzion.org. That's H-A-R-T-S-I-O-N.org. Shalom and welcome to all of you lovers of Hashem, His Torah, and Israel. It's great to be here with you folks again. I'm your co-host Ray Patterson here on Noahide Nations, and here's my co-host Adam Penrod. Hey Ray, how's it going? I'm doing good, Adam. You doing all right? I am doing so well that my Kung Fu spirit is about to explode out of my eyeballs. Well, let me get a towel then, because uh, I need to make sure none of it gets on me. But anyway, folks, uh, on, a, on a serious note, as Adam and I promised, today we're going to get in a little bit deeper, in fact, probably a lot deeper, into one of the categories of the seven Noahide laws. Today, we're going to begin this series on the seven Noahide laws with this first show on idolatry. But before we get started, we want to offer a little bit of a disclaimer and say that neither Adam or I are here to offend or hurt anyone's feelings. We simply want to provide the information necessary to, under, to really understand the seven commandments given by God for all of mankind. We will provide sources for this information and always Recommend that you study this out to confirm it for yourself. Do not just take our word for it. You must see this for yourself in order to really begin that true relationship with Hashem. And better still, if you live in a community where they have Orthodox rabbis, try and find yourself one who's willing to teach Gentiles and knows about the seven Noahide laws. We would always defer to the rabbis for that. But basically what I'm trying to say and what Adam and I are both trying to say is don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> so uh, having said that, let's uh, uh, kind of you know, introduce this segment with kind of where it all began, where idolatry began. In the and beginning, there was idolatry. In the beginning. <laughs> no, there wasn't actually. There wasn't idolatry in the beginning. No, there wasn't, uh, <laughs> though there is some debate on that. I mean, uh, when we talk about Eve and you know her eating the apple and the reason, I shouldn't say the apple, but the fruit of the, the, the tree and the reasons why she did it, we kind of get a sense that there may have been some idolatry occurring right there because she wanted to be like God. And this, of course, is what Satan said would happen, which, of course, is simply not the case. But anyway, the Talmud tells us that in Genesis 4.26, which states, And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the Lord by name. By tradition, the Talmud in Shabbat 118b says that this is when idolatry started. Now, this is a, this is very interesting, Ray, because anyone who reads the Torah, the first thing they've got to wonder, because we know things go drastically wrong, so wrong, in fact, that God eventually has to destroy the world, um, and things 
even after the, the the flood, things don't really get better. They, it just happens again, right? Right. In Noah, fact, Noah was actually worried about that. Right. Noah gets off the ark, and humanity very quickly descends once again into idolatry. So how does this idolatry come about? Where does it come from? Because, let's face it, out of all the generations that have ever existed amongst human beings, the generations that seem to have the least excuse for becoming idol worshippers are the ones who are closest to the initial revelations of God. I mean, you have Adam, the first human being, and his wife Eve who exist. And, I mean, they're walking, talking with God. I mean, it's, it's you know, God is part of the fiber of their existence. Right. And yet, what do we have? We have idolatry taking over. Just, you know, three or four chapters within God creating everything. You know, suddenly everybody's suddenly forgotten that God is there or what's going on. So the Talmud brings out this point, and the Rambam goes into it in a little bit more detail, where he kind of brings the sources together in his laws, in his laws of uh, idolatry. The Rambam goes into this a little bit more. So you, you know, if you have an opportunity, I would suggest for every Noahide that they should get this Laws of Idolatry book, and they can get it at NoahideNations.com um, or two other places. But this is so fundamental because the first. Noahide commandment, right, is a prohibition against idolatry. And you know the interesting thing is, is that if you read the the, the writings of all of, of most or all of the medieval sages, they always start with the issue of idolatry, because if you mess up on this, you mess up on everything else. Everything else falls apart. The moment you the moment you start adding gods in there and, and stop recognizing the one God of Israel, this is when everything starts going wrong. So how does idolatry start? You've got these very sharp people who were much smarter than us, um, and, and yet they become idolaters. How does this happen? Well, the Rambam tells us that idolatry starts as an, a well-intentioned error. Right. The, the, what, what happens is, is that uh, um, we human beings enjoy engaging in, in, in reasoning, um, but sometimes it gets us into trouble because we're not, you know, paying attention to what we're what we're reasoning about. So the Rambam writes that um, that in in the days of Enosh, um, the wise men of the generation got together and held a giant think tank on uh, how shall we serve God better. Uh, basically, what what happened was they said, you know. There are these stars and these planets and these different things that exist in creation that they're clearly the servants of God. And let's think about this, guys. You know, if if you know, you know, if a king has a messenger or a servant, and that messenger or servant comes into uh, uh, someone's presence, and he is not accorded a level of honor. Because this is the king's messenger, the right. king's servant. Exactly. If he's not accorded this level of honor, the king becomes angry. Right. Because he is bestowing, in a sense, part of his honor upon this 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 person or individual, um, to, because they're carrying his message. They're carrying his message, and the message is very important from the king. Well, if that's true for human kings. How much more so for Hashem? For Hashem. I mean, obviously, I mean, and, you know, Hashem isn't just talking about having uh, servants who are flesh and blood like us. 
He's talking about there are divine entities like angels or the, 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 the stars. I mean, there are all these incredible things out there. So if we're going to be real servants of God, if we're really going to take our obligation, if, we're, if we really have a heart to serve God, then you know what, guys? We need to throw a little bit of uh, honor in the direction of these servants of God. Right, because uh, Hashem honored them. By appointing them. Exactly. By appointing them. Exactly. And so, you know, we should honor them as well. And and this seems to make a lot of sense. I mean, in in the, in, the, in the context of of a uh, of human relationships and human governance, this makes a lot of sense because you need to ha- because the messenger has to have a certain level of honor or appearance of authority because otherwise you wouldn't listen to the message. Right. The, and I think this is where we really see how the mistakes can be made logically, well-intentioned, and yet the saying, we become our own worst enemy, begins to take over. We shoot ourselves in the foot. In fact, I've shot myself so many times in the in the feet from, from my journey to becoming a Noahide. I have to wear orthopedic shoes. But uh, uh, the, the, the real point is, is that, for most righteous people, people who are trying to be righteous, oftentimes they do want to go above and beyond what is necessary to the extent that it becomes a detriment to yeah. what is is real and what Hashem expects from us. And you have to be very careful about that. And, you know, um, the fact of the matter is, is that is that going above and beyond works in the human realm because, you know what, human kings like being honored. Right, they like you, you knowing that they're the king. You know, they have a certain level of ego because they're they're the king. You know, and so you know, of course, you know, you're going to celebrate their their, uh, you know, their, their servants, whatever else. But here's here's the here's what the thing that that the kings will never allow. And the moment this happens, this is the moment when people start losing their heads, right? And that is the moment that you start relating to this king's servant as if he were the king. And right. This is the part where it becomes a big problem. Exactly. Now, it's harder to make this mistake in the human realm because maybe we have a big poster of the king. This is the king, right? And then over here we have this is the servant of the king. And so we we can we can keep these things separate. Well, for for in, in the realm of divine beings, in the realm of God, uh number 1, it's it's not it's not even appropriate to give any of God's honor to anything other than God. Not because God needs the honor, but because God is God. And we human beings have a tendency for getting confused about this. And by that, what we're meaning to say is that anything that was created deserves no honor. That honor goes to Hashem and Hashem only. And as we all know, everything was created by Hashem. So that's where the honor always goes. Once you get out of that, it then starts... Turning into idolatry, regardless of what it was back then, the stars, the moon, the sun, or what it is today. Uh, money, friends, jobs, you know, what have you. Right. Right, absolutely. So you, you actually have a lot of areas where you, you, can, you can get yourself into a trap. And, you know, with God, it's not appropriate to give his honor to anybody else. But it's also easier to make a mistake. And this is what happened in the time of Enosh, is that they started doing this. And uh, they started honoring these these, um, these these stars, basically. 
And then what happens? Lo and behold, one day, a, a, a you know, we have the people who, who, who make mistakes and get into idolatry. And then we have the really bad people, the people that we really don't like. And that's the people who are actually liars and who will get up and they will, and they will intentionally mislead you. Right. And these are the false prophets. And this is what the Rambam tells us is, is in those days, suddenly these false prophet, prophets start showing up. And they start saying, you know, you know, guys, uh, uh, this the star over here uh, appeared to me in a dream, and he talked to me in a vision, and he said, you know what, uh, Bob the prophet, um, this is my 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 shape, my my image is actually that of a of, of a uh, uh, an orange with a cactus for a head, and and you know, you should start making images of oranges with cactuses for a head, and people shall bow down and they shall pay homage to me, the orange cactus god, and you know, and and so the, you know, so he, he goes forth and he spreads his he spreads forth his, his his gospel and his good news to everybody and says, behold, the orange cactus headed god, you should you should you should pray to him, and and you know. Eventually, what happens? People go, "Oh, let's let's bow down to the orange, the orange god with cactus head." And right. Well, they, it goes on from there. They lead you to believe that this uh, false god is there for two purposes: one for your benefit, and one to to be feared. To be feared, exactly. <laughs> and, and this is very, you know, having this kind of thing is actually very for human beings is a very effective argument. Absolutely. And if you're the one on the other on the receiving end of it. Uh, it it becomes even more important because who wants to be wrong towards God? None of us that believe in God want to be wrong towards God. It's so interesting that human beings in some way seem to have an internal piety towards God. Right. It's almost built into us that that when people come up and and, and make these these arguments, uh, you know, it's like, we you know, what are you saying? And we pay attention because, you know, like you said, we don't want to be wrong. We don't want to... Misserve God. We have this desire to serve God within us, right? And that's important for all of us to remember. And in fact, uh, I may have mentioned it in a previous show, and if not, uh, here it comes uh, anyway. Uh, it is the spark that lies within each one of us that was given to each one of us at the point of creation. It's our soul, and our soul hungers for the source of life. The source of life is our Creator. Therefore, once again. The Creator only deserves honor. I don't deserve honor. Why? Because I was created. Right. And Adam doesn't. You don't. Nobody does. Right. And, and it's very important to to recognize this fact because I remember a, a teaching from a rabbi when he was teaching on the uh, order of the commandments. And some argue, well, the order is how it's laid out in the Torah, and in his position was the the proper order is that which carries the the most uh, uh, high degree of magnitude. Yeah. And his idea is that idolatry, and I believe this, idolatry is the number one commandment and is so important. And if you are willing to violate that commandment, not to worship any false gods, you are prepared to commit any other sin, even more easily because of your willingness to go against your Creator. Well, it leads you into it leads you into a lot of areas that uh, I mean, you've opened yourself up, if, especially when we start talking about polytheism, where you open up the possibility that there are multiple gods and with multiple personalities and multiple wants and desires, 
And uh, then it becomes, it depends on which God you're going with that, you know, you will uh, actually, you know, what sins you'll start committing and which sins you'll keep away from. And, and this this turns into chaos, absolute chaos for, for people. But getting back to the, this whole thing, the, the fact of the matter is, is that idolatry has two sources, basically. The first source is a mistake, is an error, is misunderstanding God. And the second source are people who intentionally try to misguide us, who try to lead us astray from the service of God. So, interestingly enough, Ray, the, the way to combat these, these two problems, actually I think they're, they're both one and the same. If you don't want to, to be led erroneously into idolatry, then you should learn who God is. And if you don't want to be misled by a false prophet, you should learn who God is. And this is the, I mean, it's the same answer to, to help protect you from both of them. You know, um, uh, if, if, if you will do that, then you can, you can protect yourself. So um, I know you've, you've got some, some, some verses that you wanted to talk about. Um, well, this will help us to understand uh, that Hashem's Torah is the the living truth and helps us to understand life itself but once again helps us to see that idolatry is indeed wrong and so i always use the torah as my default position <laughs> regardless and in the study of all the the other is, is very very important the the talmud mishnah midrash zohar all of it is very, very important and, con- and considered the study of Torah, as, as Torah being the umbrella. But when I really look for the hardcore information, I, I always default to the, the, to, to the Torah because it says it was written in the finger of God. Well, if I want to get to know God, I might want to read some of the material that was written in his finger. Okay? And, and so... Uh, I, I wanted to kind of start off with uh, one in Exodus uh, 20, uh, verses 2 and 3, where he's literally saying, I am your God. I, and it, it goes like this, I am the Lord your God who have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Well, that's <laughs> that's pretty powerful. Now, granted, this is seemingly directed specifically to the Jewish people, and indeed it is, but it is also very relevant to us Gentiles because our role in, in Hashem's creation is very, very important also. Yeah. The, by virtue of the fact that it, it is perceived that do not commit idolatry as a negative, that negative, the only way you can do it is, is by doing something positive. And that means worshiping the Creator. So when he says, you shall have no other gods before me, I'm pretty certain he meant, means it for all oh, of mankind. Absolutely. And, you know, let's get, getting back to what you said there, it's very important. The, the reason why it's important for him to have, include this part about, I am the Lord your God who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, is because God's doing us a favor. He's making things a lot easier on us. You know, at some point we've got to go, okay, I, b- I believe in monotheism. But there are, are several different monotheistic rela- religions out there. So right. which, which religion is the true religion? Well, God identifies himself directly as the God who brought Israel, the nation of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. 
So God is I telling us who he is. And so if anybody claims to, to serve a God who is not identical to the one who brought Israel out of Egypt, that person is preaching a false God. Right. And we can kind of see this in uh, uh, early in Genesis with the what's known as the original sin. And, and that was uh, with, with Adam and Eve. Uh, they knew who God was. They talked to God every day like he was their next door neighbor. So we see even before the giving of Torah uh, that this was going on and, and Hashem walked in the garden with these with Adam and Eve, his creation. So it also tells us that he wants to have relationship with us, with his creation. And if you do not believe in him, there's no possible way you can have a relationship with your creator. Well, and it also tells us, this just gets us around a problem. There's a, there, there's a problem with... Um, there are certain beliefs in a monotheistic God that basically say that God is not a... Uh, you can't have a personal relationship with God. And uh, here, what we do, what we have here is information, the verses you quoted, that you will have no other gods before me. And God's saying, why does God say this? Because he's a jealous God, and he's saying that you, I am a personal God. You, you can't have a relationship with me. You know, I'm not this. this I'm not these made-up God. I'm not, the, I'm not the God of Aristotle. I'm not the God of uh, Thomas Jefferson. I'm not, I'm not this deistic or theistic concept. I'm I'm a, I'm a God who involves himself in human history, and in the history of individuals. And here I am, and you will worship me and nobody else. Who am I? I'm the God that brought Israel out of the land of Egypt. Right. And it's significant to uh, remember that. And unfortunately, already we're bumping up against the uh, break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking uh, more about the uh, Torah itself in, in terms of the verses, chapters of verses that help us to identify uh, what it means not to commit idolatry against our Creator. And Adam, before we hit the break, let me just go ahead and reiterate something that I mentioned at the very onset of the show, and that is neither Adam nor I are here to spank anybody. We're not here to thump you over the head with, with how wrong you might be or how, uh, how right you are not. What Adam and I are here to do today is to convey the truth as we see it based upon the Torah which Hashem gave to all of mankind. Without that understanding, you might get very, very upset with us. And we certainly don't want that because we love you folks. We love everybody out there. But at the same time, it's our responsibility as people who are working towards being righteous Gentiles to share the truth with you from Hashem's Torah. And I hope you can appreciate that. And I guess what I'm really saying is I hope you folks will stick around for the second half of the show. But in the meantime, folks, a little housekeeping. Keep your emails coming. We're loving it. Uh, just keep sending them to noahide at israelnationalradio.com. We will see you on the other side. Let's take uh, the break on right now, Adam. See you on the flip side. Oi, we're late to the airport, Harvey. If only I had called Menasha Sofer's airport service. 
Cut down on time at the airport. Introducing the ultimate airport experience by Menasha Sofer's airport service. The VIP meet and assist shuttle guarantees a completely stress-free traveling experience. Tell them you heard about it here at Israel National Radio. Online at msoferairport.com. M-S-O-P-H-E-R airport.com. There is a famous segula that a person who goes to the Western Wall for 40 consecutive days to pray for one request will have that request answered. There is also a long-standing tradition of giving charity to have a pious Jew pray in your place since not everyone is able to make such a journey. Western Wall Prayers, 40 Days of Prayer for You at the Kotel is a project of Kolel Tfilat Moshe. Visit westernwallprayers.org. That's westernwallprayers.org. Well, folks, welcome back to Noahide Nations. We're glad you stuck around. We're, we're talking about a pretty important topic here today. Wouldn't you say, Adam? Oh, it's the most important topic, I think, that we could talk about. Uh, uh, without question. And if you recall, when we went into the break, I mentioned that we were going to be talking about more of the chapters and verses because... I know most of us have humashes, and we want to know where we can go to confirm some of this information. So I'm going to go ahead and do that, and Adam and I are just going to be discussing uh, each one of these as, as we go along. One of the other ones is basically, you'd mentioned it uh, in the previous segment, about idolatry angering God that uh, he is a jealous God. And we find in Exodus 22, or I'm sorry, 23.13, he says, And be mindful of all the things that I have said to you, and make no mention of the name of other gods, neither let it be heard from your mouth. So in other words, not only are you not supposed to talk about it, you're not even supposed to think about it. Well, you're not even supposed to say their names. And this is actually, sometimes this makes this a little bit difficult. You want to talk about, uh, you know, a false god and, you know, some points, you know, you know, worshiping him. It doesn't become quite the issue it is. But one thing that, that sort of sets all this apart, I think God has spent a lot of time telling us who he is. I mean, this is not just, you know, we don't just have a, a list of things not to do. But, it's, it, but there are some things that go on within the Torah. One, God says, this is who I am, right? This is who I am not, is another thing that he tells us, right? Right. This is how I relate to you. This is not how I relate to you. God also uh, makes an argument for the unique, for his own uniqueness. What will you compare me to? To what will you liken me? Right. But, you know, he also does this with Israel. He asks of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 4, he says, what nation has basically seen these miracles, right? He talks, he kind of, you know, talks back about the the exodus of Egypt. What what other nation out there is a nation that, um, that, that that's had through miracles and one nation pulled out of another nation, right? So so God, it's very interesting, ties his identity directly into the Jewish people. Right. Well, they had firsthand experience. Absolutely. <laughs> they had experiences like no one has ever had before or since. They, right. the, 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 the revelation at Mount Sinai was, was a unique revelation that has never happened before and will never happen again, in that it was a national revelation. 
There, out of all the religions that exist out in the world today, you can only find one religion that makes the claim that God talked to an entire nation. Right. And this is an amazing point because you have to think about this a little bit. You have to think about this this point. If I want to convince someone that I have a true religion, let's say I'm dishonest. I want to prove to someone if I have I have the real religion. I'm, I'm trying to take them for a spin. I want them to give me a bunch of money, right? In what way can you make your argument stronger? Is it through an individual making the claim, God talked to me last night, or a small group of people, God talked to us last night? Or is it more convincing to say God talked to an entire nation last night? Right. What's, the, what's the better argument? What's the more powerful argument? Well, it's a nation, of course. Having a nation, right? So if I really want to make my point, dishonest or honest, what I want is the national revelation. That's what I want to put out there. But there's only one religion in the world that has that claim, and that is Israel. And God ties himself directly with the Jewish people. You want to know me? I've entrusted my message to them. I am a unique God. They're a unique people. I have a unique message. Here it is. And so when you hear the, the phrase, folks, a light unto the nations, this is what is being referred to right here. Because they had the first hands-on experience as a nation with Hashem. Hashem performed miracles on their behalf, not just so that they would see, but for the world to see. In fact, uh, we recall Yithro meeting up with Moshe and all the people after the Exodus in the desert. And what's the first thing that Yithro says? I've seen what Hashem has done for you, the miracles that he did for your people. It's amazing, but it's there, and it's, it's, it is real. So we have to acknowledge that as well. It's not for solely the benefit of the Jewish people. This is truly a message to all of mankind, not just to the, to the Jewish people, even though because of their firsthand experience, we have to defer to them to learn this wisdom, to learn this knowledge that they have acquired over thousands of years going all the way back to the Exodus. And you know, you know, this is important, Ray, because one of the failings that existed in the world was that error kept creeping in. And what happens when God creates Israel is that you now have a source, an uncorruptible source, that, that maintains this knowledge of God. And it's, it's maintained because of the nature of the creation of Israel, the nature of, of who Israel comes from. In fact, the Rambam goes on in his laws of idolatry, basically that, uh, that it's with Abraham that we first have this starting point in human history where the knowledge of God is no longer lost, that, that, that it's reaffirmed, that it's becoming, it's becoming something that is actually going from one generation to another generation. Right. And there's a consistency that exists. Whereas prior to Abraham, well, what we had was we had, hey, guys, I'm here, I'm God. And we had, oh, look, there's God and friends. And then we have, oh, look at all these gods that we have. And it's with Abraham where you have this, you know, if you will, tradition, this communication that there's only one God, and it's taught from generation to generation. And it's important because I think the nature of God creating this unique people, Israel, was that, it again, it identified who God was. 
and that if you ever need to know who God is and what the nature of God is, uh, go talk to Israel because they have my Torah, and I've revealed myself to them. Right. Uh, if you recall, Hashem tells us, he, he actually refers to this nation in the singular. Israel is my firstborn son. So even so, we have kind of a dual message here, that it is Hashem who created Israel, who created the nation of Israel, basically provided the land for Israel, but he's also referring to Israel as his son, his first son. And that's just so critical because what Adam is saying is so true. Hashem provided Israel for us to benefit the rest of mankind. And we really need to grab a hold of that, folks. And when we do, and we understand the true importance of having the Jewish people in our creation, having the temple, all of these things, when you begin to come to the full realization of what this means to me, what it means to you individually and to us as mankind, who will all be first in line to be protecting Israel. Yeah, and you know, I think that people out there might be thinking, oh, they've got enough topic. I thought this was a show about idolatry. Well, if you'll remember, the way we started this whole discussion at the beginning was, where did idolatry come from? It came from an error, a mistake, right? Right. So now what we're offering to you, because I said that the solution to the, to the error and even the intentional misleading was knowledge of God. So, so what Israel represents, Israel is the answer. Israel, is, Israel, Israel has been given that knowledge of God that we seek. They've, they've been given the Torah, and they've protected it, and they've guarded it throughout these, these millennia. And, and, and this is the solution to that error. This is the solution to being a mis, intentionally misled, is that we have the source of knowledge directly from God called the Torah, Israel has guarded throughout the generations. Right. So let's go ahead and get back into some hardcore text. And we'll jump into uh, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 14 through 15, where Hashem shares with us, You shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. Needless to say, idolatry is a serious thing. In fact, when we look back at the time of of Noah and the generation before Noah, even though that is acknowledged as as a time during which idolatry had started, mankind was not wiped out because of idolatry. So when he starts telling us that you know destroy you from the face of the earth, imagine what that means in Hashem's terms when we consider that he wiped out all of mankind with the flood uh, because of theft and corruption and theft. But you know, you know, <laughs> theft and corruption were introduced in the world because the first thing that happened was, was human beings got rid of God. They, they, they created multiple gods. So again, it all comes down to idolatry once again, that even though the world was not uh, destroyed directly because they abandoned God, what happened was, was by abandoning God, they abandoned the need to interact with their fellow human being right. in the way that God intended us to. Exactly. And, and like you're saying, it, it was the relationship that caused 
the destruction because it was considered not just theft but violent theft. And the violence can only be defined as what you do to another person. That is not kosher, as you it know, were. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> this pop just this thought just pops into my head as you're saying this, and that is, is that the first thing that we're told about human beings in the Torah is that human beings are made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. What happens when we have multiple gods? Whose yeah, image? Multiple images. Multiple images, and perhaps some images are better than other images. And you know, we look around the world today, Adam, and what do we have? We have over ten thousand what is categorically considered legitimate religions. But how can that be? But you know, <laughs> but you know what? What's, what's, what's not religion? Not, what's not um, legitimate is the fact the way they conceive of other human beings. See, this is where if you want to talk about ethnic cleansing, if you want to talk about murder, if you want to talk about violent right violence in the earth. It comes from the fact that when we begin to look at human, our fellow human being as not being a human being, as not being the same as ourselves. Right. Because having one God means there's one image of man. Right. Having multiple gods or no God means there's multiple images of man. And, you know, when we dehumanize a, a, a person, this is when we can, when we can put them into a, 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 a slavery where they're treated like they're just a piece of property where they have no rights. This is when we can murder people in the name of... Of whatever uh, God they believe in. At the moment, right? <laughs> right. This is when we can start having holocausts. Yeah. It's that happen. De- yes. It's, it's diminishing the value of life, which is all important to Hashem and, and to ourselves, obviously. But He created us for a purpose. And when we deny people from completing that purpose, it is indeed considered murder. And, quite frankly, idolatrous. Why? Because you're believing that you are somehow more worthy than another one of Hashem's creation. Only in the context of monotheism can we have the statement, "His blood is no redder, your blood is no redder than his blood. Right. Right, because there's this concept um, that if you are given a choice of dying or murdering another person, Judaism tells you you have an obligation to die. Why? Because your blood is not any redder than the person that you would murder. And this is such a critical point. I don't know how you know if we can make it any stronger. Having one God means there is one way that we look at one another, and that is that we're all created in the image of God, and that we're all equally deserving respect, and that our lives are all equally valuable. Right. So this is so this is this is how out of a multiplicity of belief. How, how when you have many gods, you have many beliefs, and this is how violence comes into the world. Because the pagan religions were never nice. No, <laughs> they were never nice religions. No. I mean, there was never. I mean, I know how people like to to, to represent you know ancient pagan religions today as as, as very innocent. People who are are wandering around and just oh we love you we love everything and that's that's the image that, that they want to represent for for these ancient ancient religions but you know I'll tell you what that's a lie it is a complete lie that that's that, that's what these people are doing they were going out and they were taking children and they were burning them in the hands of idols right they were taking young virgins and they were murdering them to satisfy whatever God they were praying to. They were going to the next village and wiping them all out because 
they displeased their God. These, this is what uh, a multiplicity of beliefs uh, or believing in multiple gods leads to. Well, even if you were to look at present-day uh, Christianity, and I can speak firsthand because I used to be one, they preach that as uh, Jesus being God and being a the loving God, whereas the God in the Old Testament... He was a, a warring God and a violent God. Well, you know, I'm really going to beg to differ and apologize if I offend anybody, but here's the truth. How many millions of people were slaughtered at the hands of Christians, the Crusaders, the uh, Inquisitions, because they wouldn't convert to believe in their God? Every religion you th- can, t- can talk about has a violence as part of it. And indeed, there is some violent acts that occur in Torah. But Torah overall preaches love. It it does. Love and respect for your fellow man. In fact, that's what the mitzvahs, that's what the commandments are all about. There is no commandment that Hashem gave to man that benefits him. None at all. The reason the mitzvahs work and he gave them to us was to benefit each other. We help other people, they help us. We call it harmony. They call it peace. And we can't have it by following the commandments. But back to idolatry, uh, I'm, I'm going to share something with you, and this is also from Hashem's Torah, the significance. You know, sometimes people wonder, why is it that you know Jews get very upset when another Jew marries a non-Jew? Well, I'm going to give you, in part at least, some of that answer. And it's in Deuteronomy 7, 3 through 5. And it says, you shall not make marriages with them. That means people other than Jews. Your daughter you shall not give to his son, nor his daughter shall you take to your son. For they will turn away your son from following me that they may serve other gods so so that my anger will be continu- will be kindled against you and destroy you speedily but thus shall you deal with them you shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their asherim and burn their carved idols with fire this is how important not committing idolatry is to Hashem and to his people Israel Because they know the reason he tells us not to commit idolatry is he knows doggone well we're going to. And so therefore there had to be a a law, if you will, set up that told us, no, 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 my children, that is wrong. You cannot do that. So wrong is it that Hashem requires Jewish people to marry Jewish people. Yeah, and you know, I know some of you who, there might be some of you out there who are saying, aha, you're contradicting yourself. Here you just went on this big rampage about how pagan religions are violent, and here you've just shown us where Jewish religion is violent. Well, <laughs> you know, um, very. I'm very glad that you're paying attention, but I think you're. I think you're also missing out on on, on what's going on. Polytheism and paganism and whatever you want, anything that has you know multiple gods is violent by nature because of the fact that nobody can, everybody has a different opinion of what a human being is. Whenever violence is used in the Torah, 
it's always used as a corrective measure of some sort, as a way to get people back to the relationship of God, or it's it's used as a way to preserve the unity of God in some way. It's never used. It's not done because one group is better than another group. It's done because one group has rebelled against God and is trying to lead other people astray, and that's what's going. On. And this is the difference. It's not Judaism. Judaism doesn't say that people are different. That they're you know uh, essentially different in some way where where it's okay to kill one guy and not okay to kill another guy. It's saying that we're all the same, but you know, for the sake of justice, for the sake of harmony in society, there are times when putting to death becomes necessary, and we all know that that's the case. We all see that that's true because we 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 live in a world that has violence in it, and we we live in a world that that sometimes you have to take a strong stand. And we have to, what we do is with the Torah is we understand that we have an infinite God who's just, who is merciful, um, and that he is able to be just, but he's also merciful. And to the extent he, he can be merciful, he will be merciful, but he, he will also be just. How, does God, how is God merciful? For one thing, he gives people the opportunity to repent. He gives them the opportunity to turn away. Even the seven nations of the Canaanites were given opportunity to turn away from their idolatry, to accept the seven Noahide laws. Right. It was because of their rebelliousness that they refused to do it that uh, Israel, under the leadership of Joshua, had to go out and uh, attack them. They were still given the opportunity to escape them. Well, uh, getting back into the uh, Torah itself, and we're kind of closing in on the, the end of the show, but I did want to kind of sneak this in because you've already brought this to our attention, and that is dealing with the false prophet. Uh, and we see in uh, Deuteronomy 13, uh, verses 2 through 4, it says, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God tests you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. What what does this false prophet say? That you should serve other gods that you did not know. Right from the very beginning of the show to right to, to bring it around, what is it that we have to do to combat idolatry? Know God. How do we know God? His Torah. Who has preserved the Torah? Israel. Exactly, and that's who we need to lean on, and we owe them a great deal for having preserved the Torah. In our prayers, we need to thank Hashem for the preservation of the Jewish people themselves, because without question. Every nation on this planet has tried to exterminate them. And the very fact that they still continue to exist is proof enough for me that there is a God. And, <laughs> and the fact that they continue to exist and they continue to hold fast to the, to, to the God of Israel is absolutely amazing. We should thank God for Israel and we should pray for the safety of Israel. I agree. And may there be peace in our time. For for all of mankind. And we hate to bring the show to an end, but we're going to have to because they're going to cut us off anyway. So, uh, folks, listen, it was great to be here. We definitely need to do another show on idolatry. Obviously, we can't even begin to, to peel the first bit of flesh from the onion on this. So we will be doing more shows on idolatry. But thanks for being with us today. Remember, your emails can come to 
Noahide at IsraelNationalRadio.com. Adam and I look forward to seeing you next week. And in the meantime, always look to the heavens for your strength in Hashem because, my friends, He is always looking out for you. Shavua Tov. See you next week. Israeli-born artist Baruch Nachshon moved to the holy city of Hebron in 1967. Ever since then, his colorful paintings have wowed art critics the world over. The world is very gray, and I have to bring some life and colors to the world. Now, the painting of your dreams can be in your living room. Click on nachshonartstore.com for lithographs, posters, books, and more. www.nachshonartstore.com Original Jewish art from the holy city of Hebron. We've got a way to help Israelis while saving money for your business. Consider Chosen Staffing, Israel's entry into the field of virtual staffing. Some of the assignments our team can handle include setting appointments, bookkeeping, and internet research. All of this is done at a fraction of the cost you can hire someone for elsewhere. Your clients will never know that your virtual support team is here in the Holy Land. Please call us at 914-613-3436. Again, 914-613-3436. Chosen Staffing.